want to share with you, before we get into today's message, I want to share with you a, uh, an opportunity that we have coming up. And I want to set it up by stating that the very obvious is that we all live and are aware that we live in what would be described as an over-sexualized world. The messages bombard us from every single turn. We carry around with us devices now that bring sexual messages right into our home, right into uh, our children's hands. And so the question I have is specifically for you, if you've got any influence over a growing child, then my question for you is this. We'll put it up here on the screen. What's your plan to guide your family through our over-sexualized culture? Because you're going to need a plan. You're going to need some type of strategy. This is not something that I would recommend or anybody else that I trust would recommend to say, just wing it, okay? And so we're going to help out with that. We believe in this passionately that we want to help position you as best we can to have biblical discussion and understanding about this. So we're bringing in Robert Oglesby from ACU. Uh, he's a professor there that deals a lot in his course of studies there with uh, adolescent sexuality and, and the sexualization of our world. And so he's coming out September 12th, and we're going to have worship and then a seminar following. It's going to be, we'll have part one, we'll provide lunch for you, we'll have part two, then we're going to stay for a question and answer for as long as you have questions and answers. We're going to provide child care for it. What I need you to do, though, I want you to be there, and if you're online, you can, you can also let us know right now by going to westernhills.church, and you'll see a button there that says um, the title of the seminar and a chance to register. We need a headcount so we can provide ample space, ample child care, and uh, amount of food. I think it's going to be Cane's, so you're going to want to be here for that. So, uh, but... Sign up for that, please. We announced this last week. We already have had about 76 people sign up. So I don't want you to miss out because at some point we may run into a a capacity deal. So please um, register and get signed up and be a part of that on September 12th. You're going to want to be a part. Okay, let's dive into today's message. If you have your Bibles, open to John chapter 4, please. John chapter 4. John is in your New Testament. If you find your New Testament, you go Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, the, the fourth book there. Now, we call them books, but I realize that they're actually documents that we have. And a gospel is simply an account of the life, the ministry, the death, and the resurrection of Jesus. And it's, in many ways, it's either an eyewitness account or a well-studied account. And as you're finding John chapter 4, either on your app or in your physical Bible, um, I want to ask a question. Well, in fact, I've I've got two sermons for you today. And before you groan, I promise we'll get through them quickly. But the first one is for anybody that's tired. Anybody that life has perhaps worn you down. Or perhaps you're in a phase of life and you thought, I never thought life would end up here, and I'm not sure how it got here. If that describes you, we're going to have a face-to-face encounter. And that's what we're doing through this series, a face-to-face encounter with Jesus. Through the eyes of a woman that would share 
all of those sentiments. Because what has happened to her is she's been labeled in numerous ways. Now, I'm going to just confess, I'm a child of the 80s. No, no cheers? Okay. Nobody's impressed? Okay, great. See, I thought you'd say, man, he looks good for child. One thing that, that we experienced in the 80s was, it, I, I'm sure it happened before then, but it really seemed like it just came into its own, was it mattered what label you wore. And one of the, the most awesome things you could have is if on your shirt there was a little alligator on your shirt. Does anybody know what brand was the little alligator? There you go. See, I knew we could connect. And if you had the Izod alligator, you were the stuff. Or if you had a jacket that had a clip or a little flap that clipped on this shoulder and on this shoulder, that's called a what? Members only jacket. See, I knew there were some believers in the room. You wore the label. Now, at the same time, many of us have labels that have been given to us, and they're not on our clothes, but they've been handed to us. Some of them, sometimes they're, they're positive, like, man, you're so smart. Man, you're so athletic. Man, you know, you're so fit, whatever that is. But most of us bear labels that we would rather run from, right? And they're degrading, and people try to put us into a category. And for many of us, if you just think back, perhaps, even where you're in life right now, if you're in that junior high, high school age, and you, this is like a real deal for you, or maybe you even have some negative feelings at me even talking about this because that may have been decades in the past, yet as we start talking about some of the things that were said, some of the actions that were taken against you, it brings up some real painful stuff from the past. Because somebody put a label on you? Well, that's where we start in today's story. That's where we start in this face-to-face encounter with Jesus in John chapter 4. Is we start with a woman and she's got labels. And they have all been applied. And they're all designed to be negative. I'm going to start in uh, verse 4. Verse 4 says this, says, now he, this is Jesus, now he had to go through Samaria. Now pause right there. We're about to hear a count where Jesus is on a journey. They walked on their journey. He's walking, and, and John gives us a little bit of his itinerary. And he's, John says, now he had to go through Samaria. Now to us, that sounds like, you know, if I'm going to go to Waco, I'm, you've got to get on I-35. That's not what that means. He did not have to go through Samaria by the way that we think so. See, Samaria to the place for the the Jews was a place that you wanted to avoid. You would go around Samaria. You would take a route that took you without having, having to stand foot in Samaria because as we'll understand through this passage, Samaria is where people that no longer worship the true God as the Jews understood it, that's where they lived. Now, they were Jewish in ancestry, but they had so intermarried that they were no longer considered true Jews. And in fact, one of the labels that would be applied to them 
to kind of categorize them all would have been they would have been half-breeds. An incredibly derogatory statement because they no longer were of the right pedigree anymore. And so when John says that Jesus had to go through Samaria, what he's actually telling us is that Jesus is having to go because of his mission. He's choosing to go to Samaria. Because everybody else with him would have said, let's go around. So, pick it up in verse 5. So he came to a town in Samaria called Sychar, near the plot of ground Jacob had given to his son Joseph. Jacob's well was there, and Jesus was tired as he was from the journey, sat down by the well. It was about noon. Now, this well, you can actually go visit today. We know the location of this well. It is, it is for centuries been identified as the spot where this well has. And as you would imagine, when you're traveling... You always got to pay attention to you know, how much gas you have because you don't want to be so far away that you don't you know, have the gas. Well, in the old days, in this time, you had the, the critical thing was water. And so you would plot your route from one water source to the next water source to the next water source to make sure that you always had enough water. And Jacob's well was a significant place to stop. Verse 7, when a Samaritan woman, remember, there's the label already, came to draw water, Jesus said to her, Will you give me a drink? His disciples had gone in town to buy food. The Samaritan woman said to him, You're a Jew, I'm a Samaritan. See, she knows, she's aware of the feelings. How can you ask me for a drink, for the Jews do not associate with the Samaritans? So she's already aware there's several strikes here. Okay, first of all, she's a Samaritan. Second of all, she's a Samaritan woman. Now, is completely different in that culture. Women did not interact with men. Women were property, and if you didn't, you didn't do it with your somebody that was not your wife. That was improper, especially if Jesus is considered a rabbi. It's a completely different culture than what we had today. It's one of the things that when Jesus started started elevating the the role and the position of women in that culture, it's one of the things that people pushed against. And so now he's going to break through a cultural taboo and he's going to talk to a woman that's also a Samaritan. This is a double strike. And not only is he going to do that, but he's going to ask her to pull him some water from the well and serve him. You would not, if you were a good, God-fearing Jew, you would not have asked this because she's now making what what she touches becomes unclean. And so Jesus is going right through all of these labels that have been applied to her. Jesus answered her, If you knew the gift of God and who it is that asked you for a drink, you would have asked him and he would have given you living water. Sir, the woman said, you have nothing to draw with and the well is deep. And it is a deep well. It goes down about 70 feet before you even hit, hit water. Where can you get this living water? Are you greater than our father Jacob who gave us the well and drank from himself, as did also his sons and his livestock? Jesus answered, Everyone who drinks this water will be thirsty again. But whoever drinks the water I give him will never thirst. Indeed, the water I give them will become in them a spring of water welling up to eternal life. The woman said, Sir, give me this water so that I won't get thirsty and have to keep coming here to draw 
water. And it's not a society like we live in where you can go and you turn on water. Or you go to the refrigerator and you pull out the bottled water. So water plays a critical role. And so part of her day, and we learn that she comes in the heat of the day so that nobody else can see her. So that she can sneak in here and not have a conversation with anybody else. Because she's got some other labels that we're going to find out in just a second. But she comes and she, she's trying to draw water. And Jesus says, I've got a water that's greater than anything you've ever tried before. Have you ever had one of those moments where you're just dying of thirst? I remember as a kid, and maybe you had this. I could be playing outside for hours, and then when I got thirsty, water out of the water hose just tasted good. You know, and and we didn't worry about germs. We just went and drank out of the water hose. I remember very clearly that. It's just strange that I have a best water story ever. Uh, or, but my uncle was, um, was a rancher and uh, worked in, with, the, with an oil company. And so he had one of those work trucks. And as a kid, I thought this was so cool because on the back of his work truck, he had a bracket welded onto the truck that was round. And in it sat an orange got water cooler. You know what I'm talking about? And at the beginning of the day, he would fill that up with ice. And then he would go to his water hose. But his water hose didn't come from a municipal source. It came from the well on his land. And so it was well water from a spring. And he would fill that cooler up. And then it would be on the back of his pickup truck all day long. And I just thought that was so cool that you could walk up to his pickup truck. And next to it... In a little rack, he had hanging a metal dipper cup. You, know, you understand what I'm talking about? And so you would get that cup, you would fill it up, and of course that, that metal got cold, and the water was cold, and we'd drink it. I, I'm not kidding, it tasted sweet. There's what Jesus is talking about. The water that you've been coming to get doesn't satisfy. Jesus says, I've got a water that it's going to well up inside of you like a spring. And it's going to be cool and refreshing because your life has been hard and dry so far. So she's asking for this water. And Jesus is going to peel back one more layer here. He says, He told her, Go call your husband and come back. Now, this is probably where she gulped real big. I have no husband, she replied. And Jesus said to her, you're right when you say you have no husband. The fact is, you've had five husbands. And the man you now have is not your husband. What you've said is just quite true. Now, it, it almost seems like Jesus is having a gotcha moment. The problem is... We read tone into the text, don't we? You get an email, you get a text message, we read tone into it. I, I wonder if this one isn't better read with Jesus said, when she says, you're right when you say you have no husband. The fact is, if you've had five, and he's sympathetic in the moment. And, and he's got to go, I know, 
says, you can trust me. I'm aware you've had all these husbands. And the man that you now live with, he won't even give you his last name. Because you feel these as labels. And so what Jesus just identified, out of all these different labels, and she's, she's lived a life, like the old song says, she's been looking for love in all the wrong places. And she's gone from relationship to relationship to relationship to relationship. And she's now settled in one where the guy, I can only imagine, is just using her. And she has received label after label after label that's told her she doesn't fit, she doesn't belong. She's second class. And it's as if she just had it right across her forehead. She feels unworthy. Unworthy to even have the self-respect to expect the husband or the man that she's with to marry her and give her his last name. And so now she's back on her heels. She's caught off guard. And what do you do when you're caught off guard? Well, she launches into a religious discussion. She says, Sir, the woman said, I can see that you're a prophet. Our ancestors worshipped on this mountain, but you Jews claim that the place where we must worship is in Jerusalem. And she goes back in this back and forth, back and forth thing. You Jews claim it's Jerusalem, and she's talking about a mountain called Mount Gerizim. And she said they had set up a separate worship place. And so she wants to know, who worships in the right place? Jesus answered. I'm going to jump to verse 22. You Samaritans worship what you do not know. We worship what we do know, for salvation is from the Jews. A time is coming, has now come, when true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and the truth, for they are the kind of worship the Father seeks. God is spirit, and his worshipers must worship him in spirit and in truth. And this captures the woman's heart. And she says, so she leans in. She leans, she says, and the woman said, I know that the Messiah called Christ is coming. When he comes, he will explain everything to us. So this is the one thing that they both agree on, the Jews and Samaritans, that there's a Messiah coming. And he'll figure out who's right. And Jesus drops this line on her. Jesus declares, I, the one speaking to you, I am he. He says, I'm the one that all of your hopes have been. She is now face to face with the Messiah. She's face to face with the one that all of her hopes are in. When you think about these labels that she's worn, and she was so sensitive to them. She was a Samaritan. She was an outsider. She'd gone through relationships. Who knows what kind of labels the town had put on her. If you think about the labels on our clothes, I opened up talking about IZOD and members only, and you can pick your own labels. Let me ask you a question. Who gets to determine what label gets applied? Who, who gets to determine what happens to a label on something? Anybody seen the label on your mattress? The one that says, don't you dare take this off or tear it up or anything. Does that scare anybody else? You know, I'm like, there's mattress police. You know, I think Alexa is going to turn me in, you know, when I tear that off. Who gets to determine what happens with the labels? 
Here's who. The one who creates or the one who purchases gets to determine what happens to the labels. The one who creates or the one who purchases gets to, ha- gets to determine the labels. Do I need to apply that? She is staring face to face with the one who created her and the one who will purchase her back from all the other brokenness that's happened in her life. Jesus is the one, is the only one, whose labels matter. And his label was purchased on the cross when he stretched his arms out and he died with you on his mind. And he said, you're worthy of this. And he now is bringing this message to each one of us as an opportunity for all those that are thirsty and you're tired and you're worn out and you feel like you're on the outside. That's what Jesus is bringing to us. And that's the invitation that he has. And so if that message applies to you, remember that the one that created you and the one that bought you back at a price, he's the one that gets to determine the labels. Prophecy two sermons. Here's the second one. Picking up down the page in verse 27. Just then, his disciples returned and were surprised to find him talking with a woman. But no one asked, what do you want or why are you talking with her? Because they had learned by this point, don't question what Jesus does. But you see that they're shocked. He's talking to a Samaritan woman. Leaving her water jar, the woman went back to the town and said to the people. Okay, so, so disciples come back. They bump into Jesus. They bump into the woman heading away from Jesus. Disciples come back. And they're confused, and the woman's so excited, she leaves the jar. She runs into town. She says, come see a man who told me everything I ever did. Could this be the Messiah? And at this point, I've always wondered where the townsfolks gathered around going, did he name names? Because they had been in a relationship with her. They came out of the town and made their way towards him. Verse 39, many of the Samaritans from that town believed in him because of the woman's testimony when, he said, when she said, he told me everything I ever did. So when the Samaritans came to him, they urged him to stay with them, and he stayed two more days. And because of his words, many more became believers. They said to the woman, we no longer believe just because of what you said. Now we have heard for ourselves, and we know that this man really is the Savior of the world. Now let me ask you this. Why does John tell us that whole little part? He makes a point to let us know the disciples were headed back with the food. They bump into the woman. She runs past them. They gather around. They're confused why Jesus is talking to a woman. And then the town starts coming out to them. Here's my question. Where had disciples just been? Where had they just gone? To that town. I can only imagine that they stood there, the disciples, and suddenly all these people were coming out. 
and they're excited because this may be the Messiah. This may be the one they'd hoped for. They're looking for Jesus. They're, trying, they're eager to find out if, if he's the one that they can put their hopes in. And they're shuffling their feet. Disciples are shuffling their feet now because there's the baker that they just bought bread from. And there's the butcher they just, brought, just bought beef from. And there's where they, the guy that's just sold them their flour. And all the supplies that they needed. They had Jesus out by a well and told nobody. Because they didn't think that a Samaritan town was worth their time. They had applied a label on it. So here's the question for us. Will we choose to label or we choose to tell? If we have received this message, we've got to realize that whatever negative labels, whatever abusive labels, whatever um, outside labels has been ripped off of us by Jesus himself. Now the question is, will we turn around and label somebody else or will we tell about the one that saved us from the labels? Will we tell about the one that saved us from the label of sinner? Will we tell about the one that that saved us from the label of lost? Will we tell about the one that saved us from the label of broken? Desperate, tired, weary, worn out. That's the question for us. Because I don't know if you've noticed, but we sure live in a culture that's still loving to label people. It's like everybody's got a label maker now. It's not for organization. And we've got people in groups and in camps and in and philosophies and political parties, and we just want to keep applying the labels because we think it makes it easier if we just sort them all out ourselves. And Jesus had to go through Samaria to break through the wall and said, no more. I'm the one that hands out the labels. I'm the one that both created and paid for. And that's what we have the opportunity to tell. So for those of you If you are a follower of Jesus, who do you need to tell? Who's in your circle? Who's, as you go through your day, who do you cross paths with that now it's time to put a word in for Jesus? Just to say, here's what he's done, done for me. The elders right now, the shepherds are praying for this church that we continue to be and expand our efforts to be the one that in this area, in our community, the one that says we're not going to label anymore, we're going to tell. We're going to tell what Jesus has done for us. And we're going to trust that he's going to take that. And as he says in the passage right between these two, it says the fields are ripe for harvest And there's opportunity here. That's our opportunity. So what I'm going to do is I'm going to pray for us. And I'm going to give us a moment of quiet in the middle of the prayer. And I'm going to encourage you to use that moment of quiet to have your own prayer one of two ways. One, if you're still not yet a follower of Jesus, but that 
tired and weary describes you. I want to invite you to have a conversation with Jesus that says, will you please show me how much you love me? And if you are a follower of Jesus, I'm going to give you a moment to pray for someone in your circle, somebody that you cross paths with, somebody that maybe you live next door to, I don't know, that you would pray for an opportunity for you to tell. Let's pray. Father, Jesus promises living water. Father, and each person here that, that would describe life as dry and they're tired and it hasn't gone the way that they wanted it, that you would fill them with that living water that he promises and let them get a sense of what that is. No longer the old labels applying whatever they would be, but the only one that says you're worthy because Jesus is going to make you worthy. And Father, for those of us that have believed in this message for a while now, would you please place on our hearts somebody to tell? Because just like the woman, you want more and more and more to know. And so, Father, help us to not keep it quiet, to not get so into our routine so distracted by or so assuming of the labels of they're too far gone. They'll never believe. They're not worth it. They're not worth the hassle. Father, whatever it would be. And just like Jesus had to go, would you lay upon each of us a sense of we've got to tell. Even if it means we drive out of our way, take a different route home, walk through a different way through the hall, just for the opportunity. Father, would you do that in each one of us? As together, we all trust that the one that laid down his life so that we could live loves us and has this in his hands. In the name of Jesus we pray. Amen. If there's anything we can pray with you on, we'd love to do that today. We're going to stand up. We're going to, MJ is going to keep leading us. And if we can be available, you can come talk to me and the minister down front. Let's stand and worship, please.